it doesn't have to be either or, but we live in a world that constantly is trying to make us pick. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really important part of this journey for me. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I think for anyone who is pivoting is one of the first places I think you should get some grounding around Mm -hmm. is being okay with accepting multiple truths can exist at once. Welcome to The Safe Haven. I'm your host, Amanda Lytle. The Safe Haven offers a collection of conversations about life's challenges and the pivots we make in order to keep moving forward. As I evolve and expand as a person and a podcast host, I have learned that creating a safe space is nearly impossible. I don't know what topics or stories may trigger my listeners, but I hold space with love and intention and honor the bravery that it takes not only to share, but to listen to the stories of others. So I thank you so much for being here. I would like to begin this podcast by acknowledging that I am recording from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Interior Salish people, in particular, the Sinaiaxt, on whose territory I work and live. Kina Reed is a diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner. She's also the creator and curator behind the social media platforms, the Anti-Blackness Reader Project, and Divesting from Whiteness. She holds a Master of Arts degree in Communication Studies and is a published researcher, conference presenter, and public speaker. Her public advocacy is largely inspired by her academic research relating to social power and its intersections with race and gender identity constructions. She formerly held a dual faculty administrator appointment at Louisiana State University as the director of forensics. In the conversation today, Kina tells us about how her calling into education was heard when she was 17 years old. She also tells us how she's very much pivot the ING right now, having left a job of nearly two decades in higher ed. We hear Kina's perspectives on shadow work and the realities of entrepreneurship, her decolonizing journey, and what her latest endeavors are. As usual, we jump in after I've asked Kina to tell me about one of her biggest life pivots. It's interesting to be a part of what I think we're calling, at least right now, we're calling the Great Resignation. It started in 2020. It picked up in 2021, I think, as of last July, 3.5 million people in the U.S., and particularly, I think that was in the U.S., I don't think it's global number, had left their places of work. And I saw something last week that said that trend doesn't seem to be going away, right? So I would say if I had to name the last pivot, or at least when I started to change direction to the extent that we have this version of me, it was in 2020. I left my career as a college professor of 16 years and I have been moving through that ever since. Mm. That is massive. Yeah. So I'm going to jump back because I know I have so many questions already and I know that we've just started, but it's because I have an idea of where this can go. Mm -hmm. Just before we started recording, we were talking about the difference between pivoted or like a life pivot as it's ended. And you had really mentioned the pivoting with an ING at the end and being very much in the process. And I know even myself as an educator, having pulled away after 10, 11 years, that is a massive transition. So this is kind of open-ended about exploring the ING in the pivot that you are experiencing now. Leaving something that you've done for that long is huge. Oh, for sure. And I don't want to, I don't want to be grandiose here, right? 
but there's an you've already been in conversation with me so you already know that I'm very southern in the sense that I'm going to go up and down the Mississippi (laughs) before I land someplace Mm -hmm. but at 17 years old I get the calling to be an educator and I realize now at 40 plus something what a unique experience that is because I have friends and family members who were still figuring out what are they supposed to be when they grow up. And so to get that kind of assignment at 17, in some ways you can say, I had to avoid maybe some other existential questions. You know, Mm. at 17, you divinely, cosmically, however you want to put it, situate yourself on the planet as an educator then you don't have to ask a lot of questions because you already know, right? And so I want to name the fact that there's a lot of angst that I got to avoid Mm -hmm. because I wasn't 21 saying, what should I do? What Mm -hmm. should I be? You know, I, I got the assignment at 17, but it makes changing the vehicle sometimes tricky. Because mm-hmm. the assignment never change, or if you want to put a little bit more of a metaphor here, the destination never changes, but the medium of transport does. And so I think this is a cute, cheesy story, Amanda, but <laughs> when I was in undergrad, I would stay after class sometimes, or sometimes before, I would practice writing Professor Wakina Reed on the board. Mm. talk about manifestation right Mm -hmm. and this was way before we were talking about manifestation Mm -hmm. and I would just on my most audacious days I would leave it there I love this (laughs) (laughs) right now some days I would hair up and erase it (laughs) but when I was really feeling myself I would leave it there and so I want to provide that context that makes leaving an almost two decade career that much more difficult mm-hmm. because that is how I saw myself. That is the story I told myself in addition to growing up in a family where I was constantly heralded as the smart one, mm-hmm. you know, you're the smart one. You're, you, you won't get in trouble because you're too smart for that. Like mm-hmm. that's the story I heard about myself. And that's the story that I held about myself. And it manifested a career as a university faculty member for, like I said, almost two decades. So at the end of 2020, to say this is no longer the vehicle that makes sense for me, there's a great and massive existential moment there. Mm -hmm. Because it's not like the calling has changed Or even my feelings about teaching people, creating spaces for learning, none of that changes. And now I'm left to figure out what do I do with the assignment, with the calling, with the gifting, and where should that go? And so then it's like, immediately I jumped off that horse and (laughs) got on another horse. (laughs) And without getting into too much legal issues, the horse that I got on wasn't the best one, Mm -hmm. right? And so here I am now saying, okay, where do I give myself permission to play here that I never have? And in some ways, you know, didn't even think I could. And so I think to respond to your first question, pivoting is in a lot of ways, giving yourself permission to ask 
questions you never asked, to explore options that you never even thought you could. And so a lot of pivoting is really being open, asking those probing questions that you've always been a little too scared to ask yourself. And then the third thing is being okay with process. And process is all around us, Amanda, but because we live in a global industrial complex, we've really been divorced in a lot of ways from the natural world Mm -hmm. that continuously points us to process. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, our body is process. Mm -hmm. The digestive system is process. But there are so many things that we have learned to not be curious about. And so I think a large part of the pivoting is also being comfortable with process Mm -hmm. and exploring those nooks and those corners, as opposed to just wanting the thing to arrive in our lap. Mm -hmm. How do I get curious about how this is made? Yeah, totally. And then you've really got me curious about something because you've said that, you know, that you felt that message, that calling that assignment at 17. And then, you know, there was something else that, that had, you know, presented itself within you after, you know, almost two decades of teaching as a professor. I'm wondering about self-awareness, number one, and about whether or not that self-awareness throughout the process of teaching, you know, and evolving as an educator was part of the pivot into whatever this, you know, next step is, (laughs) right? The self-awareness, but also when you're talking about I also wrote down something about your family, just about, you know, in your family, you're the smart one. There's also expectation on there. Did you ever feel like you were in the role of an educator or that you stayed in it as long as you did to uphold an expectation of other people? Oh, that's an, I mean, I think that's entirely possible. It's like for any of us who've done shadow work, for any of us who have worked through or are working through our coping mechanisms, Mm -hmm. our trauma responses, Sometimes you find yourself saying, is this me, me, or is this the trauma response, right? <laughs> like, totally. I'm exploring this right now. I get it. Yeah. You know, you're just like, is this something I fundamentally enjoy doing? <laughs> yeah. Or is this something I've just told myself? Yeah, exactly. I enjoy, right? Exactly. And so I think there's a component because I still very much identify as an educator, right? Mm-hmm. Publicly and privately. And so I think that... I've never had an issue with the concept of being an educator, being a teacher, being someone who creates space for other people to learn. And I mean, we're not, we're two years out. So I'm sure if you were to ask me the same question three years from now, my response would be a little different. I wouldn't call it self-awareness that made me leave. I would call it self-preservation. Feeling like I deserved the safety that wasn't made available to me. You know, I left and I don't know if I've said this publicly or not. I'm not sure. I I have my own two podcasts and I'm on podcasts. So sometimes I forget, what is the shit you've said out loud, Kina? <laughs> what are the things? Yeah. Um, I will tell people that Mount Everest is easier to climb than a black woman being done with something. If a black woman is done, mm-hmm. there's, there's, that is a point of no return, right? <laughs> and so the final nail of the proverbial coffin is when the university that I taught at post in 2020, during the faux awakening, they post Black Lives Matter. 
and I say, oh, I've got to go. And I get the irony of that, that the Black person decides to leave the university when they post Black Lives Matter on the website. Someone's listening, like, wait, I thought that's what you wanted. (laughs) I know what you mean. Wait, wasn't that? Are we doing the right thing here? Wasn't that the all? That was what we were all worked up about? (laughs) I know what you mean. Yeah. But the hypocrisy of it was too much to handle when there were so many things actively in front of me that showed me just how little Black Lives Matter to the institution. Mm. So the comparison that I've made of that for people that I've tried to share this story with is imagine living with a partner that you don't sleep together, you don't have meals together, you really talk together, you live in the same place together, but there is no interaction. But then when you're in public with that person, they hold your hand. Mm-hmm. And you're like, we're holding hands? Yeah, what the What's hell? going on, Frank? Right? <laughs> like, you haven't touched me in two weeks, yeah. right? And so that's the equivalent I have to that. It felt very much like, what's happening here? Mm-hmm. This is very surreal. And so... When I made the decision to leave, I, again, I don't think that was much of self-awareness. It's like, I've got to leave because this is even more ridiculously unsafe for me. Because it's one thing when someone's harming you and don't know it. Mm-hmm. It's another thing when you get the impression people are consciously doing it. Mm-hmm. I've got to get the hell out. Mm-hmm. And that's how I made that decision. It was self-preservation. And I think we probably all have different understanding of what safety means. Mm-hmm. It's become really trendy in some ways to say this is a safe place, even when there's no guarantee of that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's like even from Sonia Renee Taylor when she talks about there is no such thing as a safe place, you know, a safe space. It doesn't exist. And that's even mm-hmm. where I had, you know, tweaked my intro because as much as I can call this a safe haven, I don't know what is going to trigger my listeners exactly. and I can't necessarily even hold space for them because this is an audio recording. We're not even in person. And I think maybe we live in a world of degrees of safety, right? That mm-hmm. feels better for me, right? So there's no place that is devoid of violence, right? Because in some ways we're saying safe means to be absent of violence. Mm-hmm. That's not plausible in the world that humans have created together at this point. It's so true. Right? So there's degrees of safety. Mm-hmm. But there's a component of this that for me is deeply profound. I was 40 something years old, a whole ass grown woman before I realized I deserved it. Mm. I think that's the profound thing for me. Mm-hmm. How long did I spend my life? thinking because if you had asked me 10 years ago Amanda should you be safe I would have been like hell yeah everyone should but there's a difference between what we would call that head knowledge versus it moving into the heart and then Mm -hmm. even like integrating that into your body Mm -hmm. which is part of where I'm at now so I'm saying there's a difference between knowing with a capital K Mm -hmm. and lowercase knowing So I lowercase knew that safety was something I deserved, but I didn't know it. Mm -hmm. And I certainly didn't believe it with my whole chest. Mm -hmm. So leaving was me saying, oh, no, this place has no safety Mm -hmm. that serves me anymore. And I need to leave to figure out how to manifest more safety for myself. Mm -hmm. Okay, so take us there. So what did that look like? You've now officially left your job of almost two decades. And then it's like, okay, now what? Oh, I wish I could say, and it, and we all lived happily ever yeah. after. 
that that's not what happened here. And so I left higher ed and officially became part of Jedi, the Jedi industry. Mm-hmm. And what I found within the industry, you know, <laughs> I feel like I, I have spent my whole life outrunning whiteness and white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And so I found it there too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, wait, he too, Brutus? Like, mm-hmm. it's here too? Mm-hmm. What are you, what do you mean? It's everywhere. It's literally it's everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> I know. It's everywhere. everywhere. It's amongst us, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to talk about a haunting, I, I don't fool with horror movies, but we see a lot of interesting projects coming out of that genre that kind of points to the monster that is supremacy culture, the monster that is whiteness. And it is under the bed, but it's in bed too, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. It is around us, but it is in us, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so leaving higher ed, becoming a part of DEI Jedi spaces, and even in that trying to figure out, okay, so how do I maneuver this in a way that lends itself to me having the most likelihood of having joy, increasing the likelihood of having ease, increasing the likelihood of having safety. And where I end up at is deciding to create my own firm. And what's so funny about us having this conversation on this day is because I I think it's okay to name drop this person. My friend Pixie Lighthorse. The only reason why I would say their name is because they're a tremendous resource mm. and do so much healing work, especially for uh, shadow work. And just if your listeners are out there, they should definitely look into the work of Pixie Lighthorse. And so one of the, the conversations, well, the ongoing conversations that she and I have been having for a while, but today I left them a voice note and I was saying that we hear a lot of story, especially when we think about entrepreneurship and small business, where someone woke up and was like, I'm going to be my own boss, or I love making soap, so I'm going to make soap and sell it. Mm -hmm. That is part of that public narrative about entrepreneurship. It's magical, and it's glamorous, and it's very you know, pull up your bootstraps, get it together, become a small business owner. And I said to Pixie, I said, where is the story where someone says I had to build a business because it's the only way that I can earn a living and not be racially terrorized? Mm -hmm. Where's that story? Because I'd feel better about my own life right now, (laughs) right? Like, and then it makes me think, Beyond just racial terror, right? But like the terrorism that happens for us who are Mm. identifying as women. I can't help but to wonder how many women have started their own enterprise because they got tired of having to outrun their boss's advances. Mm -hmm. Because where is that story? Mm -hmm. Do you get what I'm saying? And so there's this huge trauma that I'm responding to and moving through and healing from Mm -hmm. that is surrounded by the concept of work. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm moving through right now. Mm. And I think that part might be some level of self-awareness because I made a decision to no longer hide under the covers about it. I made a decision not to numb out. 
And I want to be really clear. I'm never going to judge or critique people who numb out because we are conditioned to do that, Mm -hmm. right? We are conditioned to do all the things so that you don't stay in your body long enough to feel. One of my proudest moments of this year is yesterday. I facilitated a workshop with 20 something people, probably ranging from the ages of 14 to like 50 something. Mm -hmm. So it's like a group, an intergenerational group. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to them about the importance of explicit communication and creating opportunities for people to tell the whole story, not the shortened version. Mm -hmm. Someone says, well, what am I supposed to ask people instead of how are you doing? Because that's what we do, right? It's like, hi, Mm -hmm. Amanda. Hi, Kina. Mm -hmm. How are you? Okay. Mm-hmm. And so someone was like, so what else can we ask people? I say, well, first of all, we already know the answer. No one's okay right now. So mm-hmm. let's, and when I said that everyone laughs, right? They're like, ha, 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 ha. Mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, none of us are okay. Mm-hmm. Can we just collectively agree mm-hmm. that none of us are okay? Mm-hmm. And if someone is walking around, okay, right now, that might be signs of something larger. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So here are the three things you can ask instead, but really understanding that there's all these degrees of things people are constantly negotiating. And how do we make space for that? How do we create grace for that? How do we even create language for that that doesn't make the person feel judged? So I'm that's what I'm saying. I'm not critiquing people who decide they want to numb out because we live in a world that is so violent mm-hmm. and offers so little resources to move and to integrate and to be present in grief, to be present in wounding, how can you judge from people who are trying to find new ways every day to disappear a little? Mm-hmm. The safe spaces are not created effectively in order to allow people to exist in grief or to exist in, like you said, wounding. Yeah, it's just like brush it off, put it away, put the tears away. You're being too much. You're being dramatic. Get back to work. Absolutely. I feel that so deeply. And that's another byproduct of whiteness, right? Mm-hmm. Is everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. (laughs) And if it's not, don't tell anybody. Yeah. Oh, okay. I want to come back to you because now I'm all fired up about this. I want to come back to (laughs) the word disruptor. Okay. And I know how that's like part of the assignment. Tell me about divesting from whiteness and how that started. Wow. I did not expect this question today. Okay. I can always answer it, but (laughs) No, I mean, growing up Black in the United States, and I'm being specific about that, right? Because there are so millions of people a part of the African diaspora. And growing up Black in the U.S. is different than growing up Black in Toronto or growing up Black in Haiti, you know? And so growing up Black in the United States, more often than not, how I saw and evaluated my humanity And I actually think this is probably true for most Black folks across the diaspora in various ways, because most Black folks have been the, on the receiving end of colonial projects Mm -hmm. and settler colonialism, you know, Mm -hmm. but that's true for most people of the global South. Okay, so I'm I'm going, (laughs) let me lift back up to the question. So much of how I, this is more teacher talk, the rubric of assessing my humanity has been whiteness. In 2016, I decided I no longer wanted to use that rubric any longer. It started off as something really simple, I think. I decided I wasn't going to code switch. 
Now, I want to really name the fact that even when I'm not trying to sound like a white person, I do. All right. <laughs> but I'm not doing that on purpose. And prior to 2016, I was mm-hmm. because that is how I was going to be taken seriously. And that's how I was going to be seen as being professional. And so it's a very crude story. And I'm always sensitive on how I take it, you know? So I always want to say from the top, Bill Cosby is guilty of sexual violence, full stop. Let that hang there. Mm -hmm. Because I am never, I never want to be interpreted as a rape apologist. He has committed violent crimes against so many people. But when you grow up as a latchkey kid in the 80s, Black in the United States, Bill Cosby and the Cosby family and that whole franchise really gives you a recipe of how to be Black and successful and how to be Black and a contributor of society and how to be Black and survive in an anti-Black world. Mm. And so when we see the press about what has happened with him, what my takeaway becomes, if the whitest Black man in the United States will still end up being a Black person at the end of the day, then no matter what I've done or said to seem appealing will be enough. Mm. I might as just well be. And that's really when I start to recognize the internalized supremacy in my life Mm -hmm. and go from there. Mm -hmm. It was 2016. So that's another pivot. That's a massive pivot too. Mm -hmm. I guess that's a really internal inward journey too, right? To start before, Mm -hmm. you know, now that you've created this platform and you've got a space where you can continue sharing and educating as well. Yeah, that hits deep. That hits deep. And having spoken with you even on the Bookstoop podcast as well about this and about the backstory, I want to fast forward to present day and about- You mean we're not in 2020 still? No. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Doesn't it sometimes it feel like it? I know. I know. Do you know how often when I have to say the year and I say 2020 and people are like, it's not 2020. I'm like, oh, yeah, 2022. (laughs) I know. That is not the conversation that you wanted to start today. Anyway, I wanted to bring it back to what you're currently doing now, because I also wanted to just highlight the fact that you are really in a stage and a space of designing this pivoting, the ING pivoting. So tell me about Mm -hmm. what this present moment of the in the pivoting and in the learning ing phase feels like and how this is kind of starting to actualize for you so one of the things that is part of the pivoting part of my decolonization journey part of my divesting journey mm-hmm. is realizing i can hold multiple truths at once mm-hmm. and i think that's so important for us on an intrapersonal level, on an interpersonal level, and on a societal level. Because mm-hmm. most binaries are false. And like, there's this beautiful thing happening on my Facebook page right now. And I'm going to make a post about how beautiful it is. So a movie came out last week, Red Panda. I think that's the name of the movie, Red Panda. Okay. 
And you've got people who are like, this movie is the best movie ever. And it has so much great AAPI representation. And it's so great for families. And then you've got like the evangelicals are like, oh my gosh, this is the worst Disney movie ever. And then you've got the mom corner of the internet saying, this is the most inappropriate movie ever. So it's like all of these different, you know, the social media is like a huge high school lunchroom at this point, you know, all the different corners are like, (laughs) but on my particular Facebook page, people are having a conversation and it's such a nuanced way that hardly ever happens on social media where people Mm -hmm. are like, huh, this had some value, but wait, this also didn't feel great. And people are being so respectful of that. So people are able to hold both, right? Like here are the places I was really disarmed (laughs) and I'm unsure Mm -hmm. about, but then this thing happened too. And so I want to be real careful how I phrase this. No one should ever be in a relationship with someone who is violating them, Mm -hmm. that doesn't respect their boundaries, that doesn't respect their consent. And Everyone has permission to walk away from spaces, places, and people who are keeping them in danger, Mm -hmm. full stop. Mm -hmm. But we live in a world where people really struggle because they love Grandma Mimi, but Grandma Mimi has been abusive and they don't know how to hold both. Yeah, the both and. Right? And so it's either she's entirely abusive and I never talk to her again, or she's like she's my grandma Mimi and I love her and I never named the danger she's been to me. I can't do both. And so being able to hold both that love for someone and then also saying, actually, but you've also hurt me in these ways. And I can name that Mm -hmm. and I can tell you the boundaries that I need, or I can even say, I can't be in relationship with you, but I will love you still. Mm -hmm. We can hold multiple things at once. But false binaries make us feel like we can't. Mm -hmm. And so one of the biggest part of the pivoting for me is being able to say, I can hold multiple truths at once. Mm. I I have the capacity for that, despite the fact that we live in a world that tells us you can only do one thing at one time, which, oh, gosh, Amanda, this, see, we got to, because now I'm like super charged up because there are places we are expected to multitask at, Mm -hmm. right? So when the company wants to downsize and give you the job of six people, Mm -hmm. everyone's okay with that. You should be able to juggle all that shit. Mm. But we are not expected to see the ways that, let's say, a political party or system can have value, but also be hella violating at the same time. I can sit here and say, this is what the X party has provided for me as a Black woman, but also say, hey, that's some bullshit. It doesn't have to be either or, but we live in a world that constantly is trying to make us pick. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really important part of this journey for me. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I think for anyone who is pivoting is one of the first places I think you should get some grounding around Mm -hmm. is being okay with accepting multiple truths can exist at once. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean in a weird, again, because I really want to be clear because you see this come from the right in some ways. People will say, yeah, I'll vote for President Trump, but that still like means that like I'm an ally to you. Mm -mm. 
I get to question that. Mm-hmm. So that's not the multiple truths I'm talking about mm-hmm. here. Because <laughs> somebody can listen and be like, yeah, so I can be an active MAGA person and still love you as a Black person and still be Black Lives Matter. No, there's no convergence in that. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, <laughs> that, those things don't convert. <laughs> so. No, I understand what you're saying deeply. And I think that that both and translates literally into every aspect of our lives. And I think it's also about getting curious about it, getting curious Mm -hmm. about what feels really rigid. And earlier you said something about, you know, just kind of bumping up and exploring those edges as to like what feels good and what feels right and allowing yourself to sit in curiosity, ask questions. Yeah. And I mean, we don't live in a lot of spaces. This is one of the things I do with my family a lot. Like my mom will say, so-and-so should know better. That's something my mom says a lot. Mm. And I'll say, where would they have learned that from? But a lot of the times we don't think that because we are projecting our own lived experiences. Mm-hmm. One of the things, the terms I hate the most of this world, and I don't use that term hate a lot, mm. but I hate the term common sense. Do y'all use that a lot in Canada? Cause I, we- I hear it often, but I know, I know how subjective it is. You can't put it everywhere. I mean, where did they do that at? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Common sense? Mm -hmm. Because that concept assumes that we're having a common experience. And I mean, I guess you could you could complicate that a little bit. We're all having a human experience for sure. Mm -hmm. It's so different. It is so different. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) You and I. Oh, but wait, oh, wait, wait, wait. I should have answered your question. (laughs) What am I doing now? So last Friday I premiered my second podcast called Please Say Black. And it is where I am having conversations with other people from the African diaspora, celebrating stories. I think a lot of time people are used to Black grief and Black trauma. Mm -hmm. And we really got to normalize Black stories, Black creativity, Black joy. So that's happening over there. I didn't know you started a second pod. That's so exciting. (laughs) Yeah, so... That's happening in a pivot, you know, because life is still moving forward. I'm saying this is something that gives me joy, that excites me. It's a part of disruption. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, I think we live in a society that is so used to, you know, you hear about Black people, it's because something really violent happened or something really traumatic happened Mm -hmm. or something really exceptional happened. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to break that up and be like, actually, yes. The humanity, the entirety of it. Uh Oh, I feel that so deeply. (laughs) You know, and I'm building my consultant business, Mm -hmm. my coaching services, Mm -hmm. and aware of the places where we need resilience to move through systems. Mm -hmm. This is one of the things I said at the top of the year. We don't need more resolutions. We need more resolve. Like, come on, Mm -hmm. like, don't make me buy new shit. Like, help me, equip me to be grounded, to live in the reality of where I am, mm-hmm. not to just skip over and get to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be present. There's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Gosh, <laughs> I love these chats with you. Thank you. Okay. Well, I'm glad I did some of the things. <laughs> well, actually now I'm going to throw my three safe haven style questions at you because I want to be mindful okay. of your time and you and I could just go off about all the things. So and you don't know what they are, which actually makes me very excited. Yes, people, listen, I do not know what these questions are. And I wish you could see my face right now. 
Okay, you go ready? for it. Here we go. Yes. The first one is, what are you most proud of? Ooh, I am most proud that I am moving through grief right now. Mm. And it's so funny that we're having this conversation today because today I woke up on the proverbial wrong side of the bed. And this has been happening a lot since 2020, actually. Sometimes I call it an alien experience. That's the best way I could describe it. Mm. Where I wake up and I'm like, whose life is this? Mm-hmm. I never would have imagined for myself five years ago that I would be <laughs> unemployed, starting my own business. Mm-hmm. I would have not one, but two podcasts. Mm-hmm. I would have never imagined that for myself five years ago. And so sometimes I wake up and it feels like, whose life am I living? Who, mm. who, who wrote this version of this? <laughs> like, I, Right? Yeah, but does it feel nourishing? Oh, no. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I, got, I haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. That's a challenge, <laughs> But I'm eh? proud that I'm able to redirect myself. Yeah. Because when I started, like, in 2020, when I woke up like that, it would keep me in bed for the rest of the day mm-hmm. and morning. And so learning how to move with the grief, keyword is moving with the grief. Mm-hmm. So that's not stopping the grief, mm-hmm. not ignoring the grief. Mm-hmm. I am most proud of learning how to move with it, mm-hmm. to be with it. Oof. I don't typically respond in these questions, but I really want to name that just a common thing that I've been bringing up recently with all of my closest friends is just that gentle, loving reminder up and above what we're all experiencing on an individual level, that there is such a collective grief happening right now all around the Mm -hmm. world that is just that extra, you know, Mm -hmm. the little bit extra, the lot extra. Mm -hmm. So it's just that, that reminder to just give yourself some extra compassion always. And, you know, an extra inhale, exhale for the person that's been pissing you off standing in line at the grocery store or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I know I'm supposed to be asking, but I just really, I want to say this again. The thing about violent systems, so the patriarchy works for men, depending on what kind of man you are, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. You know, anywhere between 65 to like 92% of the time, mm-hmm. right? Same mm-hmm. thing with whiteness. Works for most white people mm-hmm. on high end 92% of the time, mm-hmm. but it won't always work for you because that's the nature of violent systems. Uh, heteronormativity for us straight folks, right? Mm -hmm. Works for me most of the time. And so us not being able to tell and speak to violent systems and say, we're all in a shit hot mess right now. Mm -hmm. These things are working for us most of the time, but there's going to have to be a catalyst Mm -hmm. where we collectively say, we will not hold this violence Mm -hmm. anymore. (laughs) And so I think it's okay for us to really start naming, to disrupt that system that is saying, keep doing, keep doing. I think we really get to be like, actually, and that's what I do love about this moment. It creates this opportunity for us to collectively say, stop, Mm -hmm. reset. Mm -hmm. I'm actually not okay with this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, push back. Exactly. Stand in integrity. But again, you've just named two that all of these systems have not allowed us to do that ever. So that's where the fear stems from to, you know, speak up, stand in integrity, to speak your truth, all of these things. It's, yeah, it's like a double-edged sword. But sometimes, Amanda, we got to learn how to do things for the the cloud of witnesses we're a part of. Mm-hmm. 100%, right? Yeah. That's a whole nother conversation about what does it mean to live in community? 
sometimes I have to say enough is enough as a part of the cloud of witnesses, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So even if I'm not someone who has a compromised immunity system, I still have to think about make and support policies that support the people who still need protections. So anyway, I know that that's not a part of those questions, but I felt like it was important to name that. I'm glad you did. Thank you. I'm ready for number two. Okay. It is, what would you like to be known for? The person who made sure that the descendants of enslaved people got reparations. I love that you, like there was not even any thought. It was just like, bam, you knew that. That is amazing and so beautiful. That's your assignment. That's my assignment. Oof. Okay. And the last one is if you had a message for everyone listening, what would it be? I can't answer this question for you. I mean, it's okay to change your mind about milk, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I did not expect that. (laughs) And like, you know, I, I don't know how you're going to edit this, but it really went for like reparations for enslaved folks, descendants to change your mind about milk. Milk, I know. Um, okay, I can deal with this. So here's the okay. thing. In the last couple, and actually, you know what? I'm going to make this a very solid point. Okay, Oof, okay. follow me. Okay. So in the last couple of years, maybe six or seven years, I went from whole milk to 2%. And then... Two years ago, I tried to eat a pint of ice cream. No go. Didn't work out. Mm -hmm. And then about a month or so ago, I tried to have a bowl of cereal with 2% milk. Nope. My stomach was like, bitch, you tried it. And I'm paying attention to my body. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, gotcha. Can't do 2%. Do I need to? What are the other options? And I, I guess what I'm saying is, it's okay to change our mind about things that for so long we were certain about. I didn't think I would become a person who's lactose intolerant, you know? So it's a silly thing to think about, but I think it does speak to a larger thing. Mm -hmm. We tell ourselves stories about what we like, what we enjoy, what we do, what we're supposed to do, who we love, who we're supposed to love. And then we find out through the universe, through our bodies, for, you know, various reasons, certain things don't work for us. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to say, this no longer makes sense for who I am. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Yeah. And I don't know if we hear that enough, Amanda. No, I feel that too. Yeah, I can appreciate the simplicity of the milk reference, but the depth of the message is core deep. Yeah. Turn inwards. I talked to Tasha Hunter a bit this often is like the ability to turn inwards, to tune in to your inner knowing, your intuition and to honor that. Yeah. Cause I could have just been like, oh, whatever, you know, but I was like, wait a second, something is happening. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I'm tracking it. I'm tracking Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. and it's okay. Yeah. And I think that it's a constant reevaluation as well. It's a constant curiosity, constant reevaluation. Like, does this work for you? You are allowed to change your mind. You are allowed to make different decisions. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I just said this this morning was there are very few decisions that you make that can't be adjusted moving forward. Yeah. And we also live in a world where we give that luxury to people. It's just not people who are like you and I most of the time. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. We are, you know, gosh, I know we're trying to wrap it up, but people say a lot of things here for sure. But I think it's present throughout the West. Mm. Like 
we make comments about who can work hard or who can't, right? So we're like, those people aren't doing their first share. Well, we live in a world of people that we totally okay without doing their first share and we don't say shit to them. Oh yeah. Because in our minds, we've created a story about who's allowed to be a freeloader. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's all these things that we're always told, no, you can't do this or da 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 da. And I'm like, hello, this people, these people are already doing these things you're saying I can't do. It's just that you're saying I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And really, we want to live in a world where people get to do all the shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Equal opportunities. Yes, we want to live in a world where people could be an equal opportunity dick. (laughs) An equal opportunity dick. (laughs) I was talking to someone last year. They're like, what is Black excellence to you, Kina? And I was like, Black excellence is me being able to be as mediocre as my white male boss and still ask for a promotion. That. Yeah. That is equality, you know? (laughs) There's a lot of truth there. Yeah. Now, that was me being funny, though. I don't want anyone to take me literal. Okay. I don't want to live in a world where we're all dicks to each other. No, no, no. no, no, no. We're not being dicks to each other. Well, where can people find you online? I mean, lots more places now, I guess. Yeah. Since 2020. Over at Instagram at Please Say Black. Uh, they can find me at Instagram at Divesting from Whiteness. They can find me on Instagram at the Anti-Blackness Reader Project. They can also find me on the internet, wakinareed.com. So I exist there and people can go there to find me, to hire me, to work with me, to say, wow, Kina, I would love to sit down and get some coaching with you or do some consulting with you. I teach workshops on anti-Blackness, decolonizing work. Yes. Uh, you can find me on Bookshop now, too. There's a lot of places you can yeah. find me. I'm constantly curating book lists. And so this month, in honor of Women's International History Month, there's a book list called Decolonizing Feminism hmm. that I've cultivated on bookshop.org. So, yeah, there's a lot of places you can find me out here (laughs) on social media. That's so good. I appreciate you and your time so, so much. Thank you. I appreciate you wanting to spend more time with me because I'm one of those people who now I just told y'all early that most binaries are false. But I truly believe I am the type of person either you meet me and you connect with me and you like me or you're like throw clean in the trash can. No like there's no way around with me. <laughs> well, I always want to spend more time with you because anytime we've chatted like this, we could just go on and on and on. And then here's me being like, I'm only going to keep you for just like 30, 35 minutes and we're just going off. So I love it clearly. And I appreciate you so much. All right. And I am proud of you for being a a collector of stories. Mm, thank you. Kina, thank you so much for your time, your energy, and for sharing with my listeners and I as a guest on The Safe Haven. I will never tire of our conversations or your laugh, and I will always happily sit in your front row cheering you on. To everyone listening, I recognize the privilege that comes with this platform, and I am committed to creating a brave and inclusive space with intention. If this episode has hit you right in the heart or inspired you in any way, please screenshot the screen while you're listening, send it to your friends, and share it in your Instagram stories. Please be sure to tag us at the Safe Haven Podcast so we can personally thank you for it. 
If you're able to write a review or leave a juicy five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that really helps this podcast grow. I hope you've had a great long weekend and I will talk to you next week.